Wayne Griffiths, thank you very much for joining us today, sir. We'll, we'll get into your brilliant work at Cooper and see it and your your brilliant career that you've uh, you've got under your belt already. But doing the research and kind of, uh, you know, d- b- chatting to various people, the, the, the term that keeps on coming up associated with you is rebel with the cause. Could you just tell us a little bit about that phrase and, and why it's so important to you? Yeah, Rebel with a Cause, actually, probably two causes. Um, my biggest cause is, is launching a brand new brand, a brand new automotive brand, Cupra, at a time when, when a lot of brands are disappearing in the middle of all this crisis. So that's one of my causes. And the other big cause I'm, I'm fighting for and working for here in Spain is to electrify Spain. So to put Spain on electric wheels. My company, see it 70 years ago, put Spain on, on wheels, and now we want to put it on electric wheels. So those basically are my two causes, launching Cupra and electrifying Spain. You know, just, just to fill in some color for, for the people who are listening or watching this, could you just give us a little bit of a, an overview of your career to date, if possible? Yeah, I started my life as a, as a kid in, in the UK, in Manchester, washing cars in my dad's car dealership with my brother. And we were so small, we couldn't reach the roof. So you can imagine what age I started working in the car industry, but I started washing cars. Um, Yeah, and I grew up in the UK, studied in the UK, went to university in Leeds, studied German and international management and and joined Audi at a very young age. I I left uh, the UK when I was 23. And since then, I never looked back. So I've been living in Europe now for over 30 years. So more than half of my life has been in Europe. Uh, a lot of that in, in Germany, so 25 years in Germany, and the rest basically here in Spain. Uh, I've, I've always worked in the car industry, so I, I always said I have petrol in my blood. Now I will have lithium in my blood because we're going to do electric cars in the future. Um, I'm a car guy. Um, all my life working in the industry has gone so fast. These, these 30 years at, uh, at Audi and now seven years here at Seat and Cooper uh, has really gone fast, but I'm having a hell of a time here. And I think the, the best the best is at the end for me now. I'm at the end of my career, I'm 57. So I'm not going to be working for another 20 years, but I'm going to be working for a while. And at the end, I've had this huge opportunity of launching a new brand and, and trying to electrify Spain. So having a lot of fun here. Let's go back to that that little boy on the streets of Manchester and say to him, just to let you know, in a few years' time, you'll have launched a brand new global brand. You'll be working for, you know, one of the one or two of the biggest car manufacturers in the world. What what do you think that response would be from from an eight year old Wayne? I probably would have been really shocked and not not believed it. Um, you know, I was at last night. I was at the, the Sitges Film Festival with Joto Bayona, with Jay Bayona, when he's just been nominated for the Oscars with his new movie, The, the Society of, of Snob. And I really recommend you to go and see the film. When I was a kid at eight years, when I wasn't washing cars, I, I used to go to the cinema all the time. And actually, I wanted to become a, a director, a movie director. That was my big dream back then when I was eight years old. But there was no school or, or university for film directors in Manchester. So... I ended up doing business and my dad's car business. I was very close to cars, so I ended up in the car business. If not, I'd have probably become a film director. Oh, there we go. That's a that's a brilliant little insight. That and you know, let, let's kind of let's talk about your kind of career at, at Audi, which is obviously part of the the same group that Seat is now. And you know, when you when you first got that job, um, what kind of went through your head? What, what did you feel almost pressure that you were part of this incredibly well known you know cog in this in this incredibly well known machine, shall we say? What, how excited were you when you first got that role? Yeah, but back then, Audi wasn't that well-known, actually. Back then, it was it's a bit like Sid and Cooper today. So Audi was just finding itself. Audi wasn't then a premium brand. I think they were selling 
four, five hundred thousand cars. Now they sell two million cars. Back then, they were not a premium brand. It wasn't like BMW and Mercedes, but they had this ambition. So I, I joined Audi in, in 1989. I was 23 years old, and Audi had this ambition of becoming a global brand. And I think that's why they hired this kid from Manchester. I turned up in, in, in Ingolstadt in my Ford Fiesta, and I remember the guy from Human Resources where he hired me. I turned up with my cowboy boots on and my braces. It was the time of uh, Wall Street or whatever, the movie with, uh, with Michael Douglas. And so I turned up there with the... Uh, 23 years old in a Ford Fiesta with no money and said, you, you guys need to hire me. And they were looking to internationalize the company and set off on a global path. So that's when I started at Audi. And then I had this incredible 25 years at Audi in different roles in sales and marketing from running uh, marketing to running the German market, overseas market, European market. So I did basically everything in sales and marketing you could do at Audi in this time when Audi was becoming a, a true uh, premium brand. Um, and it was an incredible, incredible time, a great learning for me. Um, so a fantastic time I had in Germany. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, the, the next step in that career is, is over to Seat. And, you know, how, what made you do that, decide to, to, to make the jump over to, to Seat? What, what, what kind of drew you to the company? Yeah, good question. It was in 2016. I, when I was at Audi in 1991, the guy who hired me in 1989, he came to work at Seat. And he, he brought me over to, to work in Seat for a couple of years during the Olympic Games. So from 91 to 93, I was working in Seat as well. So I came uh, to Seat 91 to, to 93. So since then, I'd always had a, a relationship with Barcelona, with, with Spain. I'd learned Spanish. Um, and I had a big link with the city. And when I was here in 91, 93, I said when I left at my leaving party as a joke, I'm going to come back one day, you guys, but I'm going to come back as the president of the company. And I said it as a joke back then, and I never, I thought, I'm just joking, but if I come back, I think become president. And I, when I came back in 2016, it was uh, because of Luca Di Meo. Luca Di Meo had come here running the company as president, and he hired me as vice president of sales and marketing. And when I came here in 2016, it basically was to sell market and sell Seat. You know, I was uh, vice president of sales and marketing for Seat. No electric cars on the agenda, no Cooper on the agenda, nothing. And then, like, I don't know, even five years later or whatever, we were doing electric cars and we were launching a new brand, Cupra. And we launched a new brand, Cupra, in 2018. And I was involved that from, from day one. So it became a bit... I remember the, the management meeting, my first management meeting coming back in 2016. I still went in front of all the same managers and said, you know, you guys looking at me, you think I'm going to be another one of these German guys who comes here, does a couple of years and then goes back to, to work at Audi or at Volkswagen. But that's not the case. I'm here to stay and this is my destiny. And I knew then it was my destiny. I didn't know what it was exactly going to be, launching a new brand and electrification and everything. But I, I kind of knew, coming back to say it after 25 years, which was very strange. First time I was here, I was 25 years old. When I came back, I was 50 years old. So it was exactly 25, 25. It was kind of like scary. You now, this is destiny. So I knew it was my destiny and uh, it's become my destiny. I didn't know I'd become president of the company. I never planned it. I didn't know I'd be trying to electrify Spain, become president of the, the car industry in Spain as well. And I didn't know I'm going to be launching a new brand, Cupra, for, for the next generation of car lovers. So a lot of things have surprised me, but uh, so, somehow it's all part of my destiny, I think. 
Yeah, no, definitely. And we'll, we'll come on to Cooper in a second, but you know, you, you've almost got the perfect timeline if you're talking about this going over to electrification. And you know, you, you've been such a key cog in in Audi and Seat. And you know, can you remember when the conversations getting a, got started getting a lot more serious as far as you know, maybe we this electric car thing? It's got some legs. You know, there were a few manufacturers that did it, kind of you know, with with the Prius, for example, in the early two thousands. But when when did you really start hyping up those conversations? conversations of like, this is, this is going to be the future. We need to get on this. Can you remember that? Yeah. I, I, you know, my first meeting with Luca 2016, when I, when he was hiring me and I said, you know, what, what, what are the plans on electrification? He was like, nah, we'll see what happens. And it's way out. We look, you know, towards 2030 kind of stuff. So it's like the next decade or after the next decade, first of all, we need to get the stuff fixed. We're working on. So it was not on them on 2016. It wasn't on the agenda. But when it came on the agenda, I think it's when, when all the kids started to go out on Fridays on the street protesting. So this, uh, uh, you know, this whole generation of young people out there, um, really saying, you know, they, we need to do something very quickly to stop this uh, climate change. And I think that is when the whole thing started to speed up. And I think it came from this generation. It's not just the legislation in Europe that you could say, you know, fit for 55, 55% reduction of CO2 by 2030 was one of the, 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 you know, the European Commission decisions. And then obviously from 2035, zero emission cars, that's legislation. But I think the bigger driver is actually what society is demanding. And we living here in Spain, we, we know, I was saying to, when I came here today, I was in, in the car um, and driving into town and I said, you know, it hasn't rained here, I don't think, for about eight months properly. So we, we've had no rain. The, the reservoirs are empty. Uh, we're in the middle of a drought. Uh, this summer's been incredibly hot. We're now in October here, and it's like midsummer still. We're like 30 degrees every day. And this isn't normal. And the last summer's not been normal. So I think everybody is aware that we have to do something really, 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 really fast. So I think this was a big driver they kicked it off back then, probably about 2018. And then, you know, our big acceleration to electrification came through the crisis, through through COVID, actually, because with the next generation European funds, it allowed us to make these investments a lot earlier than we'd initially planned. So we asked, asked the Spanish government and the Catalan government's support to develop electric cars, produce electric cars, and build a battery plant in Valencia already from 2025 which would have normally been on the agenda perhaps for 2030. So we pulled this investment. It's a 10 billion euro investment that we're doing as the Volkswagen Group together with our partners here in Spain, 10 billion euros in developing electric cars, building electric cars in Materiel and in the Volkswagen plant in Pamplona, and also building a, a battery plant in, in, in Valencia. So it really moved fast, I think, with the help of the crisis, climate crisis and then even COVID and the, the whole um, economic environment that, that Europe needed to re recuperate and recover that gave us the opportunity of, of accelerating. I want to now go on to kind of the genesis of Cupra because I mean you know, you, you've been at the company at the, at the you know, Audi and, and, and uh, Volkswagen, shall we say, for, for a while now in the larger group. But, you know, here you are coming up with this idea for, for launching a brand new brand. Um, and, you know, car lovers are traditionally very loyal to their manufacturer. 
and here you are deciding that you want to start a, a new brand. How was that conversation taken in in the automotive industry as far as, you know, giving you that trust to be like, yes, electrification's here. And yes, we're going to trust this guy to, to scale this brand to global success. I don't know whether it was trust or they thought we were crazy and uh, let him try kind of thing. And there were a lot of doubters. I remember back then when, when I stood on the stage 2018 in uh, Terramar in Sitges and said, we're going to launch a new brand, Cupra. And I looked into the eyes of the audience. I had my jeans on, my leather jacket, so I didn't look like the, the typical car executive. We're going to launch a new brand for the next generation that's going to disrupt and challenge the conventional. And then a lot of the guys looked at me and said, ah, this sounds a bit like marketing. A lot of others have tried this. So there were a lot of doubters, but I think it was the right time to do it because you touched it before. It was a time of disruption anyway. This shift from combustion cars to electric cars is allowing a lot of new brands to enter in the market. So this technological disruption is a tie. It's not even a transformation. A lot of people talk about the transformation. We're not in transformation. We're in disruption. Our industry is being disrupted and you need to understand that. And when you're in disruption, you need to disrupt yourself. Otherwise you're going to get disrupted and you're going to disappear. And the worst thing you can do is try and stay what you're doing and protect and maintain and defend. If you start doing that, you're going to die. Then you're already dying, and you need to jump in the in, in the swimming pool. You need to take that step and say, "Okay, the only way of surviving in this disruption is reinventing ourselves." So we had the technological disruption from from uh, combustion to electric cars. It was allowing a lot of new brands, obviously brands like Tesla, but and a lot of new brands, particularly from China now, BYD, Neo, or brands from the US uh, like Lucid and so on. So a lot of new brands entering anyway. So it's the time for new brands. And you said before, you know. A lot of car buyers only buy because of tradition and reputation and history. But I, I would perhaps disagree with that now because I think this generation that I was talking about that was going out on the streets on Friday are actually looking for something different than what their parents and grandparents did and asking for different solutions and looking for different brands as well. And they want to drive something different than what their parents and grandparents did, something that stands for their values and not stands for these old values of prestige, tradition, status, luxury. They, for these are all taboo wor words for, the, for this next generation. They're looking to define themselves with contemporary values, sustainability, emotion. Emotion is really important. You need to be an emotional brand. You need to touch a nerve with them. Um, and obviously, we've been able to do that coming from Barcelona as a design brand that makes cars that are great fun to drive. I think we hit a nerve with, with, with that generation. So it was the two things, the technological disruption and perhaps a disruption in society and the values of, the, of those young people out there that are looking for something different than what my generation looked for. And sticking on that disruption theme, and again, you know, we've used terms like rebel disruption, for example, but I want to take it a, a slightly different look at this. Uh, and as far as hiring goes and putting talent around you now, obviously in the UK, there's a lot of uh, traditional sectors that prefer to hire within, uh, you know, their circles. And, and, you know, you've got almost an old boys club, shall we say, but, you know, chat doing the research and chatting to some of your team. The one thing that you are very noted for is for taking people out of the automated industry or automotive industry and bringing them in and kind of getting that fresh view. Why is that so important to you? And what kind of levels of success have you seen from people with, with fresh eyes coming into the industry? Yeah, probably one of my best uh, examples is connected in the background. <laughs> At the moment, my communication director, Cecilia, 
You know, in, in our world, when my communication director left, uh, well, I'd just become president, and actually it was almost the same day he decided to go and work somewhere else. So I needed a new head of press and communication, and the normal thing would to do would go and look in the group and find some car guy, somebody grown up in the industry that knew cars in and out and knew all the journalists and, and everything. But I decided, no, I think we need something new. If we want to talk to this new generation out there, we need people who speak their language and, and have a different view on things. So that would be a good example. I could, uh, you know, hired Cecilia. She came from um, the pharmaceutical industry uh, with no car background. Uh, but I think that's been, you know, an excellent move for us. She, she communicates with that generation. So she's an, a, an excellent example of that. But there are many others. And I think... The more important thing is not is less about knowing your product and you, it is knowing your customer and the people you want to talk to and being able to talk their language and address their needs. And to be able to do that, you need to find people out of that target no? and bring them into your organization to help your organization to, to become that. And a lot of it's about transforming the company, not only in terms of the technological disruption, transforming the company to do electric cars, but transforming the company in terms of culture as well. Now, when I came here, the first board meetings, you had to wear a suit and a tie. Now, nobody wears a suit and a tie in this place because the boss doesn't. I never come with a suit and tie. So that's only a small symbol, perhaps, but it's, it's a bit of the whole mindset of our company. You know, if we want to be a, a cool brand talking to the next generation out there, then we need to walk the talk. And I need people around me that, that, that live and, and, and breathe that every day, and we need to be authentic. And I think one of the biggest successes of Cooper, a lot of people will ask me, you know, why has Cooper been such a success when a lot of others tried it? The biggest success at the end is down to two things. is, is authenticity, that we are what we do and we want the talk. And the other is coherence in everything we do. And the only way to get authenticity and coherence is through your people. And at the end, it's the people who make the brand. So you choose the right people and the rest is going to work. You know, you, if you have the wrong people, you can have the best strategy, the best process. You can do all the, stuff, the other stuff right. But if the people are wrong, then the culture of the organization will be wrong and you'll end up not doing cool stuff. So I always bet on the people and try and surround myself with people who are prepared to take risks, to challenge and provoke. Uh, for instance, my designer, Jorge Diaz, who's I think probably one of the best designers in, in, the, in the car industry at the moment. Every time I, I tell you, you, know, you need to do cars that shock me. You need to do cars that when we go to the presentation, that not everybody likes, that, 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 or hopefully some people love, but not do things that everybody likes. We don't want to please. We want to stand out because we stand for something. No, that's brilliant. It, it, it really, really does sound like disruption is is almost in the brand's dna and you know it's so different to to a lot of the cars that you, you see being made and it's really really eye-catching as far as cooper goes and the other thing that you know you'd associate with cooper is is spain it's a very very uh proudly spanish brand and you know you, you're talking about all the uh the plants that you're opening up and you know we could even look at the the barcelona sponsorship uh deal which you've recently signed i mean how important was it for you to really, really have your roots in Spain and really, really build around that community and, and really put uh, the brand on a map associated with Spain? Yeah, for me, I mean, it's in our DNA because we live here. Uh, we, we live on the beach here. The sun shines every day here. So Barcelona is, is our hometown. And it was, for me, made common sense, you know, to use this DNA as a USP. I mean, who else in the car industry works in a city like we do? 
you know, a lot of the other factories around the car industry in foggy, dark places and where they have cold winds and stuff. And, you know, we're in this, in this fantastic city where the sun shines every day, where it's full of young people, where there's incredible design, architecture, an incredible inspiration for all the people, you know, who work uh, for us at Seat and Cooper, you know, are inspired by the city. And they, we want to try and pass this inspiration to the rest of the world. You know, our motto is inspiring the world from Barcelona. We're proud of this city. We're proud of being from Barcelona. Uh, we're part of the city. Uh, we don't only just market the city, we actually invest in the city as well. We do, as you said before, you know, we're doing a big campaign at the moment with Cupra and Barcelona as, as a link. We name our cars after the city. Two of our cars have names of, uh, of, uh, of, of districts in Barcelona. What is the Cupra Born? So the Born district in Barcelona is a real cool um, uh, district where Palau de la, de la Musica and, and another classic places are. And then another car that we're going to do, our first um, car that we're going to build here, the electric car, the small car, the Cupra Raval. Raval is another fantastic uh, area in, in Barcelona. So we even put the districts of Barcelona as the names of our cars. So we're totally linked in as well with the Football Club of Barcelona, with Primavera Sound. So we are part of the city and, you know, we want to uh, give something back to the city, but also use the city to help promote our brand, not only in Europe, but globally. You know, we want to become a global brand. With Cooper, we believe we have the potential of not only selling cars in Europe, like we used to do with Sid, but actually going global, thinking about the US and, and going even further. And, and a brand like Barcelona as a city is huge. And, you know, we just made a decision to uh, sponsor or get involved with um, the America Cup. Uh, we're going to be involved with that next year, 2024. That's going to be huge in Barcelona. And you know, everybody's saying it's going to be like in the Olympics in 1992. So 2024 in, in Barcelona is going to be a, a big year. We're going to be involved with that, with the, with our uh, partnership with America's Cup. But at the same time, we're involved with Primavera, Primavera Sound, and the Football Club of Barcelona. So it's in our DNA. The city's in our DNA. It's crazy to think there's a there's an alternate universe where you just stayed in Manchester and doom and gloom would have been your <laughs> and all the rubbish weather would have been uh, <laughs> your reality. No, my Manchester. I'm talking about Manchester. Manchester was not doom and gloom. Manchester. My Manchester was the hacienda. Uh, going there in in the eighties, one of the best. Uh, I think one of the best nightclubs where just where house music was starting, and I had a fantastic time. I loved growing up in in the UK. I was. Uh, no, I had a great time there. Yeah, no, sticking with the UK, obviously, you know, there's been some announcements in recent weeks with uh, the, the the reversal on the 2030 ban of um, combustion engine vehicles that's being pushed to 2035. I'd just be interested to see your, your your kind of thoughts. So, you know, obviously this is this is your market. You needs to be on your radar. But what are your kind of overall thoughts of of, of the backtrack and, and whether a ban is needed at all, really? No, I mean, neither UK level nor European level. I don't think you're going to force customers or consumers' behavior to change by prohibition. I think you, you're going to, you know, the way to change people's behavior or, or, or move them to something else is incentivizing, giving them a reason to. So I would always focus on that's what I've been pushing for as, as chairman of the um, president of the, of the Car Industry Association here in Spain with the Spanish government is to not just ban combustion, that's easy. Instead of an objective, 2035, there'll be no cars with emissions. You need objectives for, for 24, 25, 26. You need to be able to get that. So to be able to do that, you need to get electric cars on the street 
with zero emissions. Affordable electric cars, and that's what we're trying to do here in Matarel with the small battery electric vehicles that we're developing and going to build for the Volkswagen Group, make accessible the cars accessible in terms of price. So a car around 25,000 euro and not the expensive big electric cars that we've seen up till now. I think that's what we need to do. We need to give the, the consumers and customers a reason for buying or taking away at least their, their, their doubts around the zero emission cars. So we need a charging infrastructure, public charging infrastructure. Those are the things we should be pushing on, not the prohibition, but making the other thing happen. So getting the infrastructure ready, making sure there are affordable electric cars, incentivizing those electric cars, making it a smart buy to buy an electric car to give advantages for all zero emission cars in the city. So if you have a zero emission car, you can, you can go into the city, you can park in the city. So those are the things that I would do, incentivize rather than, than penalize and prohibit. Could you just tell us a little bit about the, the Cooper tribe? Yeah, the Cooper tribe is uh, the team of... Uh, crazy people around me here that, 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 that believe that we can uh, really pull this off with uh, Cooper and, and establish a new brand. Um, the idea started, you know, we, when we started in 2018, there was really only a few of us. We started off as a few believers uh, with a lot of doubters, as I said, a lot of people in the industry and even in, in our group saying that these guys are really going to pull this off. It's, you know, it's almost impossible, no mission impossible launching a new brand in the middle of disruption when brands were disappearing and everybody's saying, you know, this is going to be difficult. So when you do something like that, you have to have people who really believe in it, who are all in and, 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 and are prepared to take the risk. So that's what started the tribe of this, this, this few believers. And that tribe has become bigger and bigger. And it's, it's a group of people who, who share the same beliefs, the, the, the same culture, the same dreams, um, have the same values. And that tribe now has not only just become the, the team of people here working in, 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 in Barcelona and in Spain, but also uh, throughout our network, our dealer network, we have our Cooper Masters out there. They're part of the Cooper tribe, our, our Cooper dealers, and also all the uh, other organizations that we work with and, and, and Cooper ambassadors, whether that be Daniel Brühl, the actor that was with us in Berlin the other week, or, or Mark de Stegen from, from, from Football Club of Barcelona. So, you know, we have a lot more members. This tribe is getting bigger and bigger. And um, I think it's probably what I said before, you know, what is the success story behind Cooper? What's the key factor of the success? Is at the end of the day, the people make the brand. And not only the people who work for the brand, but the people associated with the brand. And that's the Cooper tribe. It's now time for a very special segment. We've teamed up with the Jill Dando News Centre to bring you the good news postcard. Wayne, today your question comes from Elena, aged 11. New Centre Calfred School. My question is if you weren't a business leader, what would you like your job to be and why? Well, thank you, Elena, for the question. When I was as old as you were at 11 years old, uh, living in Manchester and going every weekend to the cinema in Staley Bridge near my home, I used to have to walk the, the three miles to get there. I went there every weekend because I was fascinated by cinema. And, and if I hadn't become a, a manager in the car industry, I think I would have become a, a film director. That was always my dream. There we go. That is a brilliant answer to a brilliant question. Thank you very much, Wayne. And we are business leaders, so we have to ask you the question, what to you makes a great business leader? Somebody who can find the right people 
um, to do something really, really big and, and, and do something really, really new. And he's prepared to, to be generous enough to invest in doing something that perhaps they will not get the rewards from. So for me, at the end, a great leader is somebody who has a generosity and a responsibility of doing something that might be very, very difficult, that they're certainly not going to see the rewards, but, you know, have the guts to go out and do that. Yeah, no, that's absolutely brilliant. Do you have any final words for our audience today, Wayne? My final words would be just watch what Cooper is doing. We're only five years old. Uh, I think, you know, we've already made an important um, first step. There's a lot, lot more to come from from Cooper. So stay tuned. Um, and I hope we will be able to continue to, to um, surprise you. Absolutely brilliant. Where can people find more details about Cupra uh, here in the UK? Online at the, the Cupra website. Uh, follow me on LinkedIn. I do quite a lot of uh, communication on social media, LinkedIn and Instagram. So uh, we communicate a lot um, and we're, we're always doing new stuff and I think we're easy to find.